today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. We are pleased to welcome to the program Hamilton Mayor Fred Eisenberger to give us an update on what's happening. Mr. Mayor, thank you for the time. How are you doing today? Uh, very well, Bill. Thanks. Good morning. Good to have you with us once again. Uh, a couple of things I want to get into here right now, and, and, and one of them, of course, is is how we're dealing with the, the pandemic and the numbers. And I know it was pretty troubling. It still is troubling. Uh, but uh, the graph that uh, that you posted up on the webpage right now seems to indicate that uh, the website, uh, that the increase in the cases is leveling off. There is still an increase, a slight increase, but nowhere near what we saw over the last couple of weeks. Uh, mm-hmm. I would classify that as encouraging, but certainly not any indication that we're beating this thing right now. No, exactly. And, uh, you know, with, uh, I mean, those those things could change tomorrow, the day after. But, uh, you know, the, it's encouraging news. We have to take uh, take hope in uh, whatever whatever hopeful message we can uh, <clears throat> we can, can, can get at this point in time. It's, <clears throat> you know, difficult times to, to be hopeful. But, uh, you know, every little uh, bit helps. I think we can be hopeful that, we have great medical staff, and that uh, it seems that uh, we're not being overrun as a, as a medical system, and uh, everything seems to be holding its own. So this uh, this surge has not yet hit, and uh, you know, hopefully it doesn't. In which case, uh, we can we can all say uh, you know that we we were prepared, but we didn't need what uh, what was laid out before us. So I'm uh, I'm I'm I'll take it as a hopeful sign as well. But uh, you know, we know that we had an additional death. This uh, this over this past uh, week, uh, we've we've got about 329 cases in the city of Hamilton as we speak, and 142 of those have been cases that have been resolved. So we're we're seeing a nice mix of uh, you know re- resolved cases. Obviously, we're expecting uh, many of the current cases to be resolved as well, and hoping to prevent uh, death in in some of the uh, the others that 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 are currently occurring. So uh, I'm, 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 I'm with you. I'm uh, cautiously optimistic that we're, uh, we're, we're seeing something positive here, but it's hard to know until we see uh, that, that that holds for, you know, a week or more. You raise an interesting point, though, and I, I want to relate that back to the discussion that, uh, that we had last week with representatives from Hamilton Health Sciences and St. Joe's, uh, where they're clearing beds out right now to try to make room for this surge that you just talked about. Not suggesting it's inevitable that it's going to happen, but they're anticipating it probably will because that's what's happened in other areas where this virus has impacted, whether it's Germany, Spain, Italy, go down the list. Uh, it does happen. So they're preparing for the worst, I guess, hoping for the best. But we would be naive, I guess, to suggest that, hey, we're taming this beast. Uh, there's, there's still a long way to go here. Yeah, I think the expectation is, and I think the uh, the premier is going to outline today. I think uh, an expectation that we're we're certainly not well out of the woods. That uh, they're they're anticipating a potential total death count of some sixteen hundred in the province of Ontario. I think we're uh, we're at about six hundred or seven hundred or something bad enough as it is. So those projections means that there's got to be uh, significantly more cases happening if uh, if those projections are to be uh, kind of listened to. And I and I you know there's no reason for us not to. You know, look at the projections with some caution, but at the same time, realistically expect that uh, if that happens, then uh, we would be, uh, you know, overrunning our healthcare system. Let's be let's be prepared. And so, uh, the healthcare system is being prepared. I know that uh, Hamilton Health Sciences has identified uh, a number of locations where they can put uh, healthy, or somewhat healthy people now that are not necessarily uh, COVID related. And uh, make room for those COVID cases in the intensive care units that uh, that, are, that may be required. And you know, at the end of the day, it, it passes without having that happen. 
uh, all fine and well. But if it if it comes and we're not prepared, uh, uh, we'll, everybody will have hell to pay. And so no one, uh, you know, wants to be in that position. And and I think it's a bit of an indicator of where we need to be in our healthcare system in the future. And so we we've basically managed a healthcare system at the margins, having just enough to 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 get through a you know the flu season and just enough to get through the, some of the critical care issues that we expect year to year, uh, but never, never, uh, you know, an abundance of space that would allow us to deal with these kinds of things. And so uh, I think there's going to be a reassessment of our healthcare system and the kind of needs that we're going to have to put in place into the future, because it's anticipated that this is not the, the, the last kind of virus pandemic that uh, we may see into the future. Well, I don't know if you heard the interview. I had the premier on the program on Friday, and I addressed that very subject. Uh, mm-hmm. The fact that obviously we're looking for a vaccine here in Ontario, all over the world, there are people that are doing that. But I reminded him that last year his government cut twenty million dollars out of medical research from that budget. Mm-hmm. Uh, he just he, twenty-five million. I'm sorry, and he just added twenty million to it. I'm not suggesting mm-hmm. that caused this pandemic. It certainly didn't. But uh, I think we have to, and he admitted, maybe we have to reevaluate just what our priorities are. And I'm hoping that's going to be a theme that most governments are going to follow through as, as we go forward here. Well, and we see, you know, other governments, uh, predominantly in the United States, that, uh, that are, you know, the government somewhat rejecting science. That, uh, you know, this is not, uh, you know, something that we need to spend a whole lot of money on. It's, it's uh, just a waste of time. Uh, you know, I, I have the I have the opposite view, and I think uh, others are coming around to that now as well. That that science is critically important. You know, I had the I had the pleasure of meeting with uh, a number of scientists that are working on, you know, the next antibiotic, knowing full well that we're becoming antibiotic resistant, which is another challenge coming to us. Uh, you know, in in the very near future, or maybe already here. And uh, I mean, they were all very hopeful, but they needed to be able to do research. And these scientists were were scientists from all over North America, all studying the same thing, all looking to look for that next antibacterial that is not resistant to the uh, to the to the uh, the drugs that we uh, currently have. And uh, and they were meeting at McMaster to talk about you know the very complex issues that they're all dealing with and how they can learn from one another. So science. And what science can do for us is so critically important. And, you know, it's not something that, uh, that matters when, uh, you know, when, when everybody's well. But when something happens, then all of a sudden science becomes the, uh, the order of the day. If we need to understand that science needs to be properly funded you know, in good times and in bad times. And uh, when the bad times come, that science is going to hold us in good stead. And, you know, to, to cut back, austerity, you know, I'm not a great austerity uh, promoter in any event. But we all want efficient governments. We all want uh, governments not to spend recklessly. But we also want to make sure that we put investments in place that actually protects us going into the future. And so uh, science is in that category. And we can, we, you know, short shrifting that is a, is a, is a pound wise and a penny foolish. So uh, we shouldn't be doing it. And I'm glad to hear the premier uh, restoring some of his thinking on that. And uh, hopefully other governments and other, uh, other uh, municipalities uh, and other districts will, will be mindful that uh, you know keeping keeping on top of these things is critically important, um, or we end up with the kind of things that we're looking at right now. But notwithstanding that, you've seen this, I've seen this, we've commented about this. There are other jurisdictions 
uh, and some people within this community, Mr. Mayor, that are saying, look at the numbers are starting to level off. Let's just relax this stuff just a little bit. Now, some, of course, like Donald Trump are saying, let's just open everything up. We want the economy back like you can th flip a switch. But you're even hearing it here in this community from some sources saying maybe we can ease some of this stuff off and, you know, open the golf courses, do this, do that. Are you feeling any pressure to move in that direction? Uh, I'm not feeling the pressure to do that, uh, but I, 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 I do know people are starting to, uh, to muse about that. I know the weather is getting nicer, and it puts uh, you know people a lot more into, like, you know, let's just relax a little bit mode. Uh, we're not in that position right now. Uh, you know, I think the projections say that. So uh, you know, until such time as we're past this curve, and, you know, relaxing what we're doing is, uh, is, is not going to be everything back to normal. And so uh, once we get there, and I, I think we may be a month away or, or, or maybe more before we can actually then say at some level, well, maybe we can open up the waterfront trails. Uh, maybe we can, uh, you know, open up the, the conservation authority areas. But when it comes to, you know, business as usual, it is not going to be business as usual. It can't be as long as this virus is around. And as long as we do not have a vaccine, even though we have, may have some treatments that might be uh, that might make people feel better, uh, we are not necessarily going to have a vaccine that will prevent people from dying from this. And so on, as long as that exists, uh, we're going to have a very different environment coming out of this. I would say the, the easy ones to relax, even though, you know, you might relax and say, okay, waterfront trail, you might be open at some point. It's not. That you still have to maintain uh, the six-foot separation and, and physical distancing. All of those things are likely still going to apply because that virus just doesn't disappear, and no one is going to know who's got it and who doesn't, unless there's this this massive testing regime that might be done and, and some sort of an indicator of uh, who has and who has not had the uh, had the virus. And I, I was advised by I, mean, I was watching the WHA WHO updates, and the fact that you may have had it is not necessarily making you immune. And so mm -hmm. you can get it again, and you can continue to spread it to others. Even though you may not have it again, you still may have it on you, and you can still spread it. So this, this, this virus is not going to be tamed until this vaccine is uh, you know, generally universally available and, uh, and has been applied. At that point, we may very well get on top of this thing. Well, I mean, learn from history. I'm sure we've all seen some of the stories that have been published about the Spanish flu in 1918. Uh, the city of Philadelphia, I guess, gave in to the people that were saying, look, enough is enough with the, with the, with the isolation. And uh, they said, okay, everybody, we're going to have a parade. Everybody can go down there. Uh, 4,500 more people died uh, after that date in Philadelphia alone from Spanish right. flu. So, I mean, we, we've got to learn from this. Uh, but listen, our time is limited, and I know you're very busy with meetings, but I do want to ask you about one other thing, and that's coming forward and coming out of this. Uh, and we've talked about uh, recovery uh, and the federal and provincial governments have talked about that and the assistance they're going to give. Uh, have we had discussions at the city about capital projects that you might, I know you've had problems in the past trying to get funding for this, but I, do you have a list to say, look, this is what we need, this is what's going to help us put people back to work in this community? Yeah, we have uh, we have a ready-made list. Uh, you know, first for me and, you know, for many, many people, top of that list is, uh, it's a high-order transit uh, project, uh, you know, named LRT. So that that's got to be, uh, you know, one of the top top ones. But it should not be the one that uh, that is a COVID-related uh, stimulus because this one this one predates all of this sort of stuff. So this is, in my view, this is a commitment uh, that would certainly stimulate the economy, but one that predates COVID. 
But we have uh, we've stalled a number of projects in the city of Hamilton that are in our capital budgets that uh, because of the construction freeze, we uh, we haven't been able to advance. Uh, the our capital budget is filled with projects that can uh, can can be advanced and uh, hit the ground running that in uh, every every community in the country is in that position. So, as you know, we have a backlog of uh, infrastructure projects that we have had not been able to get funded. And uh, all of those projects can be advanced almost immediately and can get going, uh, you know, shovel-ready. So I would say uh, there would be no problem putting a list together. And I know that we've already got a list of projects that are not happening, and uh, that can easily be turned into a list of projects that can happen now. So I, I, I see no problem in doing that. And we're already having those discussions uh, between senior staff, myself and others, to have a look at, uh, you know, how would we prioritize that and uh, bring that forward. So, yes, we're, we're getting ready for future stimulus. Uh, the Minister McKenna has said uh, that uh, she's already starting to plan for that as well across the country, and uh, we're going to be uh, we're going to be at the, at the front of the line when it comes to uh, getting the kind of stimulus that will turn our economy back on again. Well, we do know also that uh, the federal government's already committed 180 billion dollars in infrastructure money that's still not out the door yet. So, I mean, that can be tapped into. But just to be clear, though, uh, when we get around to having those those discussions, and, and I know you've had initial discussions, uh, preliminary discussions already. Basically, what you're going to be presenting to the federal government, Mr. Mayor, is uh, here's our our COVID recovery list of of projects that we'd like some assistance on. But don't forget about LRT because we talked about that. That predates that, and you think it should it should be separate and apart, but still be addressed but be separate and apart from the other yeah, list. Yeah, for sure. And, then, you know, it could very well be the funding that they'd already earmarked for that. Uh, you know, I know the province has, so, all, you know, all we need to do is have the the private sector and uh, and uh, the federal government, uh, you know, step into this project, and I think we're away. But, yeah, you're right. I think it should be over and above, uh, you know, the stimulus that we should get relative to COVID because, uh, you know, this is a 12-year-old project that probably should have happened years ago. Uh, stalled, uh, you know, not too long ago as a result of the uh, provincial decision and now very much back on the table as a result of provincial decision that uh, they probably realized was a mistake for Hamilton. And now because of COVID, uh, you know, has, uh, has, uh, uh, you know, a lot more value in terms of uh, economic recovery and, uh, and, and employment in the city of Hamilton. So I see it as, uh, as, a, as a perfect uh, stimulus, part of the stimulus package. But, uh, but not necessarily part of the COVID stimulus package that uh, you know, we ought to be considered for. Uh, very quickly, the, the other announcement that you had to make, I know it's always regretful when you have to do this, is there were some layoffs mm-hmm. at the city last week. Yep. Uh, any indication now uh, as, uh, whether these are short-term situations or, or, or you don't have a, a return date? What, what's the status for those employees? You know, what we, what we did was, they weren't actually technically layoffs, we, uh, we just stopped scheduling hours for them, and, uh, and, and so the intent is that uh, once we get back to scheduling hours for them, we, we bring them right back. Uh, my, you know, of the 1,200 employees, I think, uh, you know, a good majority of them uh, would likely be better off on the, uh, the income repl- replacement benefit that the uh, federal government has, uh, has put forward. Uh, you know, some of them crossing guards, school crossing guards, clerks in the pools, uh, all valued employees, but uh, unfortunately uh, have nothing to do for them right now. So uh, I think the, uh, many of them will, will uh, get greater benefit, more money, in fact, uh, going through CERB. And uh, when, uh, when things get back to some sense of normal, we'll start bringing them back as needed. Now, I think uh, when schools get back, of course, school crossing guards will be right back to where they need to be. Uh, so I see them. They, they, are, they are not layoffs. They are uh, uh, reduced scheduling hours or, or not scheduling any more hours at this moment in time, 
And when the uh, the time is right, uh, they can all come back uh, without going through any kind of, uh, you know, an application process or any kind of uh, other challenging process that might cause them to slow down and coming back. Hamilton Mayor Fred Eisenberger. Mr. Mayor, always a pleasure and uh, always worthwhile to get your updates on what's been happening. Thanks so much. We'll stay in touch. Bill, thanks for uh, keeping on top of these issues. Uh, you know, CHML is doing a terrific job of uh, sharing information in our broader community. I really appreciate it. Okay, greatly appreciate it. Well, it's all part of the community commitment that we have, of course. Thanks again, Hamilton Mayor Fred Eisenberger. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. One of the uh, consequences of the uh, COVID-19 pandemic and, uh, well, the impact it's had on the economy has been a, a severe increase in uh, demand at our local food banks. And by the way, not just local food banks, but we're talking on a national basis. Although I haven't seen U.S. statistics, I'm not I'm sure that it's probably exactly the same down there. Uh, people are being laid off, uh, not making any money, and I know the government money is starting to roll out right now, but it's uh, becoming more and more difficult for an awful lot of people to uh, put food on the table for their families uh, until we can kind of get over the hump here. Uh, it's already been a problem so many times in this community for so many people, but uh, that uh, that concern is exacerbated, of course, by uh, what's been happening because of uh, the COVID uh, epidemic and the resulting economic loss that's going on, which puts a great deal of stress on the food banks here. Joanne Santucci is with Hamilton Food Share. She joins us here on the Bill Kelly Show to bring us up to speed on this. Joanne, how are you doing today? Thanks for joining us. Oh, wonderful, Bill. How are you? Good. Good to know that you're healthy. Uh, but run off your feet as per usual. Talk to us about the situation with uh, food share now. Well, I got to say to you, you know, it, it is quite a unique time out there. You know, we are we are hunkered down. I'm going to tell you right now, the system is holding. Uh, we are uh, looking at like I really believe in the dignity of people. Bill, even in these kind of times, people need access to food. Mm-hmm. So we are working almost on every front. We're open. The system's open. You know, this is an unbelievable town. Uh, you know, our people do not turn our backs on the people who need us the most. You know, and and yes, you know, it's difficult in sourcing food. It's difficult in managing logistics. And yes, the demands on our organization are are stiff and ever increasing. But you know what? So are the contributions from people across this unbelievable city. We are developing new partnerships. We are forming new models. We are exploring every avenue to get food out to people. So while it's a difficult time and while it's a unique time, it's a unique time for us, too, to look at creative ways to bring a whole community together to make sure that everybody who has food can get it. Joy, and as you, I know you know these numbers, but this is very pertinent to the conversation here. Nationwide, demand has jumped 20% on average with food banks, uh, 30% in some cities, uh, in like in Manitoba and Winnipeg, 40% in places like New Brunswick. So this is this is a, a national problem, and and I agree with you. By the way, the the people of Hamilton have always come through, and we've talked about this uh, from our standpoint at CHML, of course, with our CHML Children's Fund, and and suggesting that if people want to help out, uh, their donation is is a way to help us uh, to our Children's Fund, is a way to help you guys with what's been going on, the partnership that we've had over the last little while, uh, and that's uh, it's typical of Hamilton. The people are saying, look, we're all doing with less now, but there are some people that need our help even more, and they, it, it's great gratifying to know that they're coming through for you. You know, there are so many people who are already precariously housed and employed. So they're our greatest uh, fear. And people who are sick or maybe immobile. All of these people in our community, uh, we need to find a way to access uh, food for all of them. You know what I'm saying? But i got to say to you that, you know, our services may change. Uh, you know, everybody is, is, is listening to public health, and I'm really grateful for that. At some point, you know, you got to make emergency food one of your essential outings for that week or that month, whatever it is you're doing. 
and stay tuned to our website. Any changes within our operations within the, the food banking system, we'll be logging there. But yes, uh, you know, contributions of uh, financial contributions to local food banks would be greatly appreciated. You know, we had to look at in our own staffing situation, which is essential staff. So we got a small complement of people doing a huge job. You know, and it's pretty exhausting, and it's the uncertainty is is wearing on people. You know, the whole community, not just the the front lines of the food bank. But uh, while we're a bit nervous and exhausted, the lines are holding, and we're uh, have a dedicated group of people uh, making sure that uh, when you show up, there are people there to to, to serve you. Joanne, what's your situation with your, uh, I, I guess, supply chain is, is maybe the best phrase to use here, uh, getting stuff into the warehouse and getting stuff out onto the shelves? Well, one of the things that makes us a little different than everybody else is we're not just relying on our local community. We've had, we've built systems uh, across uh, our region, first across our city, across our region, across our province, and across Canada. So we have connections. We've been in uh, contact with uh, Food Banks Canada every week. They have all of the hubs from across Canada. We're talking about new ideas. We're talking about opening up other uh, supply chains that aren't opened up to, to most. So we're getting some food in. It's a little slow, but it's starting to pick up now. Um, uh, so we're getting food in from the national, from provincial, uh, and from our region as well. So we're quite extended uh, as far as uh, our contacts and our, um, our support goes as far as food support. So it is a little slow, but we are moving forward, and we have some wonderful news that, that probably in the next couple of weeks we can share with everybody about more food coming into this community. Well, that's good. I know because uh, there are some concerns that I read about over the weekend uh, about food chains and about supply chains, uh, but it goes all the way back, not just with food banks. It goes to everybody, and we've seen some of that with grocery shelves over the last couple of weeks now. But the other element to this is, uh, you know, if we have farmers who are having problems growing local produce and we're getting into that time of season now, uh, but it's it's you know it's it's a it's a battle, isn't it? It's, it's a balancing act here. We want to really make sure is. we can help them because that's you know that's that's where we're going to have to get our food from a very short supply here, and uh, you know if they're not well, then the food chain's not well, and then you know people at food banks and everybody is is going to suffer as a result. And I say to people too, whatever you go to the store normally get, just do that. If you normally go for a couple of days, just get a couple of days. The food, everything will be there. So those kinds of rushes in, you know, uh, in a way they think they're helping, but uh, but in the end, it, it just drains out the chain, the supply chain for regular people who want to come to the store and shop. You know, you know, you, you go to one of the stores and you see just decimation in one of those aisles, and you wonder, you know, it, it really is kind of a frightening and alarming when you see that, you know. So there is food there. If you don't drain the supply chain, it will continue to replenish itself as it normally does. But, again, Future is able to pull in a lot of food from different areas, from different geographic locations, from different levels of, of uh, you know, the food industry. So we are getting food. Our rows are full. We're asking our agencies to come. And uh, um, so the food is flowing from food share out into those organizations. So, um, I, and I think that's only going to increase as we go uh, further. And also, Bill, the uncertainty out there is is amazing. Like, it, it, you don't really realize how much it's just rubbing up against you all day long. You know what I mean? You're not sure what's going to happen this week. You're not sure what's going to happen next week. You always look to the states and on television to, as a precursor could that happen to us. But every day is different. We've had agencies, too. Like, they usually count on volunteers. There's no volunteers that coming into their shop. They're not allowing that. The safety of their own staff and volunteers are, are you know, at the top of their priority. So they're operating in a different way with less people in a bigger job. <laughs> so it is a very difficult climate out there, but they're a very committed band of people, and I'm very proud of the job they're doing so far. 
Uh, do you have the equipment you need to be able to do that for your staff? I mean, you know, many, many places right now are looking at personal protection uh, equipment, whether it's face masks, gloves, and things of that nature. Is, is that a supply for you as well? It, it is coming. It isn't yet, good, but it good. is coming. We have our orders in, and we're just patiently waiting for that to come. Uh, again, we don't deal with the public. We deal mostly with our agencies, so sure. uh, we're once behind, uh, once removed behind those lines. Uh, to your point about making this a priority, uh, during one of his daily briefings, I guess it was about a week and a half or so ago, the Prime Minister also announced $100 million for food banks uh, and charities, uh, which sounds like a lot of money, and it is, but uh, boy, when you spread it out across the whole country for the number of agencies that are in need right now, there's, there's not a whole lot going out there, but it, it's, uh, it's a good first step, I would think. I think it is a good first step, and you know, it really isn't a lot, but you know, we're so used to taking what little comes down that pipe and leveraging it into other things, you know what I mean? So Food Share has actually spent its last 30 years in its existence doing that, so we're quite adept at taking a little but creating a lot from it. Um, but also, too, Bill, you don't know how long it's going to last, so do you use all of it up now? Do you use, a, you use it, you know, month by month? So what we're doing is we're stocking our shelves, we're getting all the food we can in, and then as agencies deplete it, we're filling it up again. So that's where we're going. But again, even if that funding's there, is there going to be more funding down the road? Nobody knows. So the, again, the uncertainty around the resources, you have to spend them now because people are coming. You know what I'm saying? When you ask about donations, and, and again, you know, we, we tap into the generosity of this Hamilton community, and, and they're so great about doing this. But for those that want to help out, Joanne, who are listening to this conversation right now, is, is your preference for them to donate food, or, or would you, is cash a better option at this stage, simply because you've already got a supply chain? At some point, cash is better, only because we can turn it into whatever it is we need at that moment. Okay. If you look, we'll see what's going on with the bill. You might have a plan. It's fantastic. You got the money. You got the players. Everything's working. And then you get to that piece, and that company no longer is up and running. You know what I mean? So every time you make a plan, you got to make sure and follow it all the way through that it's there. So I, I would suggest that uh, if you just call your local food bank. You know what I mean? Whoever's in your neighborhood, give them a call. Say, what do you need the most? Let me let me help you do that. And uh, they'd be more than happy to discuss with you uh, what would be uh, you know an advantage for them to have. But but at least money we can turn into anything we need right away. Yeah, I know a lot of the local grocery stores did have drop-off bins. I haven't been in too many grocery stores lately, so I'm not so sure if they're still there. I hope they are uh, to look after some of those, and they go to specific uh, agencies through here. But uh, Food Share, of course, is is the the organization for the whole community, and uh, so those that want to make those donations, by all means, do so. Uh, Joanne, you guys are doing great work. Uh, you're you're doing exactly what needs to be done to help us get over this hump. Thank you so much for the time today. Uh, and continued good luck. And if you need anything, you just give us a holler, and we'll give you a platform to make sure that everybody finds out about it. Bill, you, your, your station's done so much for us. We thank you so much for all your, your contributions. And listen, you know, we've got to remain hopeful, and we've got to protect one another. That's how we're going to get through. Absolutely. Thanks again, Joanne. Take thank care you. and stay well. Joanne Santucci from uh, Hamilton Food Share. Uh, and, and I'll repeat, by the way, if you want to help out and make your donation to the CHML Children's Fund, which, of course, helps to fund Food Share and so many other agencies that are, uh, well, let's face it, bearing a lot of the brunt for people that are uh, down on their luck because of what's happening here. Uh, go to our website, 900CHML.com, and follow the links to the, uh, the CHML Children's Fund, and you can make your online donation. Uh, that would make it a lot easier for you. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast. 
podcast on 900 CHML. It's interesting about what's happening in Ottawa today. And, and uh, you know, we, we know, of course, that, that uh, the House of Commons has adjourned because of the pandemic. And uh, they did have a couple of emergency sessions that, uh, with only a minimal number of MPs to try to pace, pass rather that very important legislation. But when they did the adjournment, uh, they were supposed to come back today, April 20th. And it looks as if that's going to happen. But not in the way that they had hoped. Clearly, we can't have everybody back uh, because of the of what we call physical distancing. That's not going to happen or shouldn't be happening anyway. And even though when you talk about the 300 and some odd people that are members of parliament, don't forget their support staffs, the, the other people that are working in the building. So this is a huge influx of people coming into one space, which we're not supposed to be doing. So what happened and has happened over the last couple of weeks is some negotiation between the political parties about how they're going to do this. And uh, apparently there was an agreement between the governing liberals, the NDP, the bloc, and, well, even the Green Party, for that matter, uh, for a certain way of doing things. And it was basically one person in-person session in the House of Parliament every week, and uh, then a number of virtual sessions. Well, Andrew Scheer and the Conservatives say, no, no, we, we want face-to-face sessions, which probably has a lot more to do with the fact that he wants a platform to be able to go back after the Prime Minister than he does anything else, because these other sessions have been used in the past and they have worked. So we don't know what's going to happen uh, later on today. Uh, but it seems as if both the Prime Minister and Andrew Scheer have dug their heels in. Listen to this. Parliament must remain open so that we can improve government programs and policies and get better results for Canadians. I strongly believe that Parliament is an essential service. There is one party, and because the House is scheduled to resume tomorrow morning, there is required to be unanimous consent uh, by the parties to not come back tomorrow morning. Uh, and the Conservatives uh, are, are you know, not wanting to, uh, to be reasonable in this, I think. Well, there you have it, and uh, never the twain shall meet, it appears. Henry Jacek, political science professor at McMaster University, joins us to talk about this. Uh, Henry, these are unusual times, uh, and uh, this is a rather unusual approach to trying to get everybody back to work on Parliament Hill, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's difficult, and it'll, it, I think it gets more difficult over time. Um, early on, when you face a crisis, uh, everybody's willing to pitch in, doesn't want to look like they're rocking the boat, but as time goes along, be you know, some of the, some some of the people involved begin to get tired of that and they tend to look at it well maybe somebody's getting more credit than than us and we got to sort of establish that uh you know we're we're also an important player here and i think that's part of what's happening here we're also seeing that in the states i think to a certain extent but uh yeah so we're seeing it here and i think particularly with the opposition uh they're probably unhappy that you know every day trudeau comes out there and uh, he basically you know, talk, uh, talks to the nation, gets a lot of press coverage, and uh, a number of public opinion polls have shown that it's worked out well for him. Uh, and that's something, you know, the official opposition is probably not too happy about. And so they need, they want to get in there to try to, you know, have people remember that they're, they're on the job. And uh, so this, this, so they become a little more recalcitrant than they have been in the past. Well, and just to, to, I guess, validate what you're saying here, and I, I totally agree, I think you're bang on. Uh, I mean, you've noticed over in the last uh, eight or ten days or so, Andrew Shears tried to uh, countermand what uh, the Prime Minister is doing. He shows up on TV about an hour before that and, and basically slams everything the government is doing. And I, you know, I guess, you know, he's, he's opposition, so he's got to oppose everything, I suppose. But uh, it, it doesn't seem 
uh, as if there's a, there's a, a legitimate reason. I mean, what he says he has a proposal. Uh, everyone else says, well, this is a compromise. I mean, if when you know when you got people butting heads like this, you try to find some middle ground. But I don't see the conservatives budging here. Yeah, and then when I mean their view probably is if we make an agreement, we do even we do a compromise, Trudeau will get the the credit for it. And there's also, I think, a second factor that's work at work here. I'm sure he's being pressured by some of his MPs who are primarily in rural areas. And I think in general we know rural areas uh, probably uh, you're, you're not having that many cases. Uh, and also uh, people there say, well, this is all a, primarily a problem of cities, and we're not in the cities. You know, we, we shouldn't be carrying a, a big burden when, when we don't have... Uh, Big problems, and of course, it's easier to have uh, you know practice self uh, you know uh, good distancing uh, when you're out in a rural area. I'm sure a lot of urban people uh, right now are envying those people who can go out onto their you know rural areas, their big their big uh, lawns, yards, farm operations, and and can uh, do all sorts of things without having to worry about uh, coming in contact with, with close physical contact, so with other people, so. That's that's that is I think a difference, and I think uh, you know so those those two factors I think are, are are coming up and you know starting to build up inside the conservative party. Well, and I listen, and nobody's suggesting that this doesn't have to happen. I mean, I think everybody agrees that you know it's time for Parliament to get back to work in some way, shape, or right. form. Uh, and and yeah, there should be some questions asked mm-hmm. uh, about about the methodology, etc. But the fact of the matter is, is that you know the government is acting on this, and when they had yeah. passed legislation, uh, there was unanimous consent, as it turned out, after some rigorous mm-hmm. debate about these things. Uh, so you you got to wonder why to get why are you digging your heels in on this right now? I mean, and and I got the tone of this even from the other day when when both Sheer and Pierre Paul Vare were who's the deputy leader, I guess, mm-hmm. of the party at this stage. Uh, we're going after this, and they want to talk about Canada's attitude toward China. And yeah, that's a debate we need to have. But is it the, the debate we need to have right now, or is, is beating the virus the debate we should be having right now? Yeah, well, I think that they have to emphasize that, and I, I think they probably, for the most part, will. But you're right; they the, but uh, they have to be really focused, and people have to realize they they have viable solutions that are. Or, or um, that that the government is not really considering or giving enough priority to, and um, that that that's what they want to get out. I think in front of the in the public's eye, and they want to be able to ask those questions and, and get the you know the time on the in the press that uh, that those that they would that uh, they think they require as, as the official opposition. Yeah, but uh, this is a just in many people's minds just an attempt to try to change the channel and talk about something else about government relations between the two countries. Mm-hmm. Uh, and should we believe China? Uh, the answer is no, uh, yeah. by the way. But and we all know that. And and the prime minister, I guess, is maybe trying to be somewhat diplomatic about this because there is a supply chain, by the way, of very right. much needed goods that are coming over from China uh, that we're procuring over there. We had that discussion last week. Uh, but I mean, for God's sake, this is the same party that wanted to bring up the SNC Lavalin thing just before this crisis hit a couple. Of months ago now i mean guys get over yourselves and let's look start looking at what's better for the country doug ford's been able to do that to a certain extent even jason kenny's been able to do that uh but but andrew Shear doesn't seem to have that capability yeah i i think i think that there's a lot more pressure on Shear because he knows his time is running out so uh looking at you know what his what his legacy whatever it's going to be he's got to make you know 
try to do the best what he can in his view before he leaves the you know leaves the front the, the front of the stage. So that that I think is a lot of pressure on him. Uh, the other two the two premiers are going to be around for a while, so they they can be a little more I think generous uh, at, at this particular point in time. But the talk is the clock is ticking on Sheer, and uh, they don't you know they they really don't think they're getting. There any credits coming to them, and their main opponent is uh, the, the the government is is basically you know looking well in the eyes of the public. Exactly, Henry. Uh, stay well. We'll talk again soon. We'll see how it rolls out later on today. Appreciate the time today. Okay, always good talking to you, Bill. The Bill Kelly Show weekdays from nine to noon on nine hundred CHML. The Bill Kelly Podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. You can also listen to The Bill Kelly Show weekdays from 9 till noon on 900 CHML. I'm Bill Kelly. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode. And make sure that you rate and review.